Ho, 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 and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, as well, to The Danger Room, the Uncanny X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we are here to discuss the May 1982 issue of The Uncanny X-Men, number 157, on sale February 9th of 1982, and this one's titled, Skirkle's Last Stand. Man, that Skirkle guy, he just... He just can't can't get enough Skirkle. Skirkle mania across the country. He's 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 amazing. Yeah. He's still around to this day. <laughs> yeah, he's really good in the dark Skirkle saga. Everybody was a big fan of that uh limited series Skirkle goes Hollywood. <laughs> that's that's right. I remember that being a good one. Uh what's what's this really called? Oh, Hide and Seek. Yes, sir. <sighs> On the cover of this issue, uh, Dark Phoenix is back, and she is mad. Well, that was faster than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> I know, right? I mean, I thought they would at least, you know, build up to this whole and uh, whole thing and have momentum and a huge storyline and an arc culminating in the rebirth of Phoenix. But nope, here she is. I like that Admiral Samdar underneath her legs is pointing at her, but if it looks like he's giving her the thumbs up. <laughs> Hey, Phoenix, all right. Giving her the fonz. Hey. <laughs> yep. Uh, and uh, one of the Shiarian people on the cover is like, oh, my God, it's Phoenix, but she's dead. Uh, yeah, these guys kind of have uh, Star Trek uniforms, now that I'm noticing it. They got the, they got the red. They got the green. Next generation style, though. So, again, I think, uh, I think the creators of, uh, what is that, uh, Berman? I can't remember his name. Did he copy? Was he a big X-Men fan? And that's how he based all the uniforms off in the new Next Generation series? The new. <laughs> I'm going to wager to say that he based most of the uh, costumes on the original series of Star Trek. Yeah? Yeah. Hmm. Weird. But uh, but you never know. I mean, it could be that Chris Claremont and Dave Cockrum were time travelers as well. Oh, yeah. Any of those things could be true. Phoenix is on the cover, like I said, and she says, Surely you know that a phoenix dies only to be reborn again! It's true. And uh, Gladiator watches in the background. Who's the flamehead next to uh, Gladiator? Let's call him Matchstick. Ah, good. Okay. <laughs> Part of the Shi'arian guard. Yes, he'll, he's in this issue, so maybe we'll come across his name. Burnface, <laughs> and we we uh, we will see here that the writer is Chris Claremont. Our two artists are Dave Cockrum and Bob Wisiak. 
Did I, did I do it right? We a sec. No. Damn it. <laughs> so close. Uh, Janice Chang is the letterer. Don Warfield's the colorist. Louise Jones is the editor. And Jim Shooter is the editor-in-chief. When did she become Louise Simonson? I don't do know. know. She's already married. <laughs> Probably when she gets married. <laughs> but she she got married. Did she? We saw it. We saw it in the bullpen bulletin. Maybe it's like a like maybe she's like I'm I'm kind of like a celebrity and everybody knows me for my name, Louise Jones. But then one day maybe she was out on the comic circuit and people were like, "Who are you?" And she's like, "I'm Louise Jones." And they're like, "What do you do?" And she's like, "The hell with it. I'm Louise Simonson from now on." <laughs> When she starts writing, she'll become Louise Simonson. Oh, that could be. Sure. Is she uh, the primary writer on X Factor? Yes. That makes, a, that makes a hell of a lot of sense. <laughs> okay. That was just an aside. So anyways, uh, Cyclops and Corsair are outside the Star Jammer, which was heavily damaged last uh, issue, and they are doing some repairs. They're doing dad stuff. They're doing son stuff. You know. It's like su- subspace fishing trip, but it's ship repair. Uh, we discovered that uh, this takes place from last issue where they learned that they weren't going to be able to repair the damage done to the ship in time to save the Earth. But they're giving it their all anyway. Mm-hmm. That's the never-say-die attitude of the Star Jammers and the X-Men. We're moving as fast as we can and doing the best we can. We'll have to be content with that. Yeah. Yo. So they are ripping pieces. I guess I kind of, I've I've read this issue many times uh, as a kid. Uh, This was in my collection. I always assumed that they were salvaging pieces from another ship, but they're not. Why are they ripping off pieces of the Starjammer to replace the Starjammer? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You know, I've been trying to figure this out, but. uh, Okay. I don't know. Maybe they're less uh, needed to be shielded areas that are going over the top of more shielded areas. Well, it's a really big ship, so maybe they're just kind of taking away from areas that they don't need to have oxygen and stuff. So Perhaps. Sure. Um, so Colossus is ripping these things uh, up off the, sh- the hole, and uh, Wolverine is using his claws to detach them. Then they pass it over to Raza, who uses a magna beam to shunt the debris through an access hatch to the ship's converters where it is recycled for future use and presumably <laughs> rebuilding itself to where they just detached it from. <laughs> wow, it's full circle. It's like a snake eating its own tail. <laughs> <laughs> what I want to know is like they describe Wolverine's claws as coming through his forearms, through apertures on the backs of his hands, and finally through special gaskets in his pressure suit. Did they have this prepared... Did they spend like an extra hour to build gloves for Wolverine with special gaskets? Or did they just have happen to have like, hey, you can use my gasket gloves? I think what's actually happening here is these giant pieces of the spaceship they're peeling off. They've been working on this for a while. They're sticking it into the recycler, and that's making special X-Men pieces of uh, space suit. So you think the uh, they're building Wolverine's suit? <laughs> well, they've already built Wolverine's suit. Now they're... I mean, look at uh, Hepzibah. Like I was saying last episode, she has a metal tail for her tail. Well, she's in space. I mean, you don't want her tail to... I'm, I'm just saying that they have a lot of custom pieces to make here, right? <laughs> All of the X-Men aren't outside the ship right now. Yeah, but she's a Starjammer. <laughs> she's been on the Starjammer for a while, so... You know, okay. I, I, 
I can buy that they would have costumes for each of the Starjammers, and even that they would have spare costumes for, you know, Cyclops, Colossus, Wolverine, everybody. But um, I don't know. Do they all have gaskets in their hands? Yeah, well, my first thought on that was, um, A, it seems like a lot of trouble to go through. And B, it seems like an unnecessary risk, right? I mean, these are pressurized suits, uh, right? So, I mean, if he, if those gaskets fail or maybe his um, claws cut through the gaskets incorrectly, I mean, boom, he's dead. Sucked out into space. <laughs> yep. Just seems like, hey, Wolverine, why don't you just not use your... Instead of using your claws to cut the pieces of metal that Colossus is ripping off, why don't we not rip the pieces of metal off the ship? <laughs> Oh, I don't know. Uh, well, anyway, so they talk about uh, the beauty of space and stuff. Wolverine's talking about how hardly anybody on the Earth has seen this, and certainly no Ruskies. That's, that's true, because <laughs> um, Russians haven't been to space. Suckers! <laughs> and so they keep working on the ship or, or something. Uh, yeah, they're, they're waxing philosophic because... Uh, Colossus almost died a couple issues ago, and now he's really appreciating the beauty in life. And uh, Wolverine says, you're a poet, Colossus. And Colossus says, Torej, Wolverine, I wish I was, but I am no good with words. <laughs> His poetry is not even that good. Nor have <laughs> I forgotten how close I came to my own death. That has perhaps made me appreciate the endless wonder of life all the more. That's not this poetic. It's called the endless wonder of life. <laughs> That's, yeah. Well, anyways, they, they keep ripping off pieces and, and they keep going. Uh, but there's an explosion, which makes sense, right? Because they're ripping pieces of metal off of the ship and uh, Wolverine is cutting presumably wires and anything else is underneath the metal shielding. So something explodes. Uh, they, 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 this whole plan is under the direction of their prime computer. So I don't know. It must make sense somehow. <laughs> this is like a deranged Hal who wants to be destroyed. <laughs> yeah, perhaps. <laughs> Please, please do this. So Colossus, or Wolverine goes flying out and he's like, uh, well, actually his backpack thrusters ignite and propel him away from the ship. And he can't shut him down. So now he's spiraling off into space and uh, a la gravity. That's when Hepzibah's like, don't worry, I'll get you. So she does a double jump off the ship and then off of Colossus, which is totally rude. Why does she have to do that? I don't know. It's not like... I mean, it's not like he uses, like, some additional arm strength to help propel her. She just jumps right off of him for no reason. She needed the height of his shoulder. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, my chest. I cannot feel so empty, so hollow. It's happening again. So he's passing out. Yeah. Oh, no. Hepzibah, she goes flying out into space. She grabs Wolverine and then does kind of an alley-oop motion back down towards the ship. And I got to be honest. I mean, clearly... Chris Claremont at this time has not seen the movie Gravity because we both know that this wouldn't work. <laughs> they would just keep going out. Yeah, it's it's true. <laughs> and so... Although maybe Gravity was wrong. Maybe the X-Men got it right. I've never been to space. I don't know. That's a good point. Maybe space in the 80s was different than space today. <laughs> oh, sure. Evolution. Space evolution. Yeah. <clears throat> so Wolverine... Why is Cyclops' helmet red in all these panels? Why is it or isn't it? Why is it? Well, because they recycle a piece of the ship into Ruby Quartz helmets. To... It is a Ruby Quartz helmet. Yeah. Oh, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Duh. Uh, so 
now Hepzibah is up in the space. Wolverine is careening towards Raza. Raza catches him. And so Cyclops is like, I'll take care of Hepzibah. And he shoots a couple of pieces of metal, causing a ricochet effect, which forces Hepzibah back down to the ship, which begs the question, why didn't he just shoot Wolverine down? It also begs the question, why are there two pieces of random metal floating out in space? (laughs) It seems like they might need those. And what was Hepzibah's original plan? I don't think she... I don't... What is her power? Did she determine that Wolverine was more useful than she was, and so she just decided to sacrifice herself? I don't know, but I, I gotta I, I gotta imagine that this big tail piece of her suit has got to be really difficult to maneuver with. <laughs> and why didn't she just use her uh, her backpack thrusters? Presumably, she has those. No, they only gave them to Wolverine, and his failed. So <laughs> this is just chaos. <laughs> Actually, that's not true because we can clearly see uh, little rocket boosters on Colossus's suit in the next panel where he's passed out. Yes. So only only select team members get thrusters. This was uh, four pages. One, two, three, four, three pages of worthlessness. <laughs> You're under the gun, too, so time is of the essence. Yes, Earth is going to be blown up, and these, these chuckleheads are playing around in space. So they get Colossus back to sickbay. Sikorsky's like, I'll fix him. Everybody get out. And all the X-Men want to help. And this is where we learned that Sikorsky is Yoda. Hmm, see myself I can. Yeah. Warned he was. Wounds critical. Rest required. Stubborn he is. Like most humans, now price is paid. Hmm. Assistance storm required. Others depart. So, uh, what year did you say this was? Uh... 1982. Oh, man. So they're, they're way past uh, Empire Strikes Back. Yep. All right. This, this, is, this is a total ripoff. <laughs> I'm with you. I agree. So Sikorsky needs Storm because Storm is a doctor, I guess. Everybody else has to leave the room. Even the professor who's like, I can be of assistance. Sikorsky's like, Psh, I don't even need you. Need you, I don't even. Hmm. <laughs> Size skills yours elsewhere required are. <laughs> That's a complicated sentence. Apprised will I keep you all of boys' condition? Well, That's not backwards. No. <laughs> so they're not even consistent about how they're going to do Sikorsky's talking. Wolverine is like, uh, the, we're, we're friends. I ain't leaving him. <laughs> <laughs> Which is totally out of character for Wolverine. Yeah. So Wolverine is forcibly kicked out of the the medical lab so that Sikorsky can do his job. And then he starts like, help me trash this door, Scotty. The Rusky needs us. To do what? (laughs) To stand by his side. (laughs) Wishing him well. You can do it, Colossus. I want to hold his hand. (laughs) Uh I don't know, and Sikorsky kind of changes character again when he's like, asking am not, telling for last time, scoot! <laughs> scoot. <laughs> Wasn't it Lilandra a couple of uh, episodes ago was saying scoot? Or somebody else was saying scoot, and I was like, this just doesn't there, fit. There definitely, we definitely had a running joke with scoot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the X-Men give up. <laughs> so they go check out uh, to see what's going on with Lilandra who has uh, been trying to get a hold of the Shi'ar spaceship. Oh, and the ship's computer. Uh, Pardon my intrusion, but your presence is requested on the bridge. 
You think it's a soothing voice? And that, yeah, you, now that you said it's like how I'm just going to try to do how. <laughs> That's fine by me. So they find Lilandris. She's trying to get a hold of Chancellor Araki, uh, but he she can't. Uh, he, he he's just not answering. And so we switch our attention over across the solar system to the Shi'ar flagship, in which we see a Mike Com link with nobody answering it and a dead Iraqi laying next to the mic. Yeah, this first panel, like, I, I would have had no idea this was a Mike Com link. I thought it was a spaceship. I thought it was one of Princess Lilandra's toys. <laughs> <laughs> like, I thought it was a, a building on a planetary la- landscape. Yeah, or or uh, Nessie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, it well, to cut the to the chase. Admiral Lord Samedar or Samedar, he killed Iraqi. Well, he calls himself Samedar because there's no there's no pointy things. I'm sticking with but, Samedar. Uh, yeah. So yeah, <laughs> he, he killed Chancellor Iraqi. Chancellor Iraqi is no more. Oh man. And he says. Uh, Command deck, this is Admiral Lord Samedar. Summon the battle staff. As soon as the stated deadline has expired, we will execute Chancellor Iraqi's orders and obliterate the Earth. I guess that the red tape of the Shi'ar is so intense that he doesn't want to deal with it. He's just like, I don't, I'm not going to destroy the Earth now, even though that would be the, really the thing to do as an evil villain. I'm going to wait until the time has expired. He's thinking to himself, do you know how much paperwork is involved with upping the countdown to the obliteration of a planet? I don't have that kind of time. Yeah, it would probably take longer to do that than to just (laughs) wait until the time passes. We will destroy the planet by default. So they can't make contact with, or Lilander can't make contact with the Shi'ar ship. Um, So, Isn't there anything we can do? Cyclops asks his dad. Once we're finished, we can reach local Earth space in seconds, but until then, son, we're mobilized. I'm sorry, Scott. (laughs) The professor realizes that uh, Magneto, their arch foe, his alteration of the terrestrial magnetic field preventing him from using his psionic communication has no effect on him in space. (laughs) So this is like, what? (laughs) Did somebody write in a letter saying how come the professor can no longer communicate with the X-Men over long amounts of like space in in on Earth. Uh, to be fair, to be fair, somewhere around like one forty four, five or six or something like that, pre one fifty, uh, the professor was complaining about his lack of the ability to communicate over long distances, and he reasoned that it was probably Magneto altering the magnetic currents. Okay. So this had some sort of continuity. The seed was planted. Now, there was never actually a scene of Magneto being like, ooh, you know what I'm going to do? This will really mess with the professor. <laughs> so That would be helpful. And you would think that like a plot of that magnitude would deserve a story unto itself. But no. It, seems, it, it just seems weird to describe an inconsistency that I didn't even notice would happen. Like I would have been like fine if he just contacted them. Right, right. Only a true nerd would be like, um, um, excuse me, clearly in X-Men number five, it can be seen that the professor is communicating halfway across the globe. Why doesn't he just do that now? In fact, why doesn't he mind wipe everyone? (laughs) And so somebody at a con was like, because Magneto altered the magnetic poles. Oh, okay. And then they had to write that into the book. 
I find that acceptable. <laughs> Carry on. So the professor uses his psionic abilities to reach out to Kitty and Nightcrawler to find out what's going on and communicate that Lilandra is okay. But midway through the communication, he morphs with an alien. <laughs> Wait. Uh, kind of. Yeah. Sort of. Uh, it's a similar panel to the one we saw last issue where he was first mind scanning Lilandra to make sure it was her. He he saw that there were kind of this half her face, half alien esque face. And now he's seeing half thing with himself. Yeah. So it's too intense, and he faints. Uh, an anomaly within himself, something alien, unknown, and so profoundly disturbing that he interrupts the mind link to probe it, and that knocks him unconscious in a powerfully Japanese frame. <laughs> Arg! Charles, are you okay? <laughs> I, I do not know Cyclops. He, he lies so still. Is he... Ah! <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Random screams in Japanimation. Okay, anyways. It's, it's got, like, lines. It's got, you know, the professor looking very Japanese. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you. I know exactly where you're going. It feels like it could be a cell frame right out of an episode of Robotech. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So they realize that he's still breathing, but they better take him down to the sick base so Sikorsky can take a look at him. And really, this is Sikorsky's fault. If Sikorsky would have just let the professor stay next to Colossus, this would never have happened. I, I suppose. But then <laughs> the whole rest of the issue wouldn't have happened either. So, um, I I disagree, Adam. I, I think I, we'll 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 see. I completely disagree. Now that I'm. Yeah, anyways. So, meanwhile, on the Shi'ar fish ship... We get some sort of kind of uh, narration about the fish ship state of being, how it has no brain, and how it's healing its wound, and I don't know. It, I, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be feeling here. <laughs> so, uh, um, it's it's sentient. It has this uh, wound, this pain that it's never felt before. Um, if it knew even the concept of revolt... It would, but since it has no concept of that, it just figures that this is its lot in life. So yeah, you should feel... It also has no brain! Well, yeah. So you should feel a little bad for it. I did feel bad for it until it turned out that it had no brain. Well, r right. So there you go. I mean, I, I mean it's, it's, it's essentially brain dead. I don't know. It's just a meat sack. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I feel bad that they the brood took out its brain, but... <laughs> yeah... Guys are jerks. It's just weird. I don't know. Well, that's space. Yeah, you know, things don't have to make sense when it's in space. <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> that's the lesson we're learning. So, meanwhile, uh, inside the ship, um, Death Strike, Death Bird. <laughs> Death Strike isn't coming in a long time. Oh, <laughs> or is that a DC villain? I don't know. Yeah, the brood are kicking the butt of Death Bird. Mm-hmm. And she's like, what are you doing? I'm the I, the Aerie of the nest. Leave me alone. <laughs> she kills a few of them, and they decide to call it a standstill because, I don't know, she's causing too much damage. And uh, she asks, why did, why did your warriors attack? And they tell her that she's her plan's pretty much gone bonkers, and they she's just causing a lot of trouble, and they need to get rid of her. And the brood backs winners. Yeah. Uh, so that's when Deathbird kind of brings out her uh, 
ace up the sleeve, if you will. She pulls out a, a little a little uh, diagram of the Professor, Cyclops, Wolverine, Storm, and Colossus, and says, "Look at these. You have never seen such readings." These would be great breeders. This is actually the brood. But he's like, oh my God, the breed, the mother of all would love to breed with these things. I must have them. <laughs> the device that she stored all this information looks like her toy. Speaking of her toy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wonder what she does with that little hooky piece. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, so this is her her uh, her move, her, her, if you will, that she is going to deliver the X-Men to the brood. And I think, what does she get out of this? I think she just begins to uh, become the empress of the Shi'ar, maybe? Yeah, you know, it's, okay. it's the same deal as always. Okay. She gets to be the Shi'ar empress, and, and eventually uh, she'll presumably rule the brood. Yeah. So meanwhile, on some of the Shi'ar bug ships, uh, Colossus, uh, geez, not Colossus, Nightcrawler is fidgeting with some hardware. Um, Kitty Pride has on a very... British-looking rock star costume. It's horrible. <laughs> it's terrible. Uh, and they're like, uh, I'm not playing with this. You know that I've been using this computer to learn how the ship's prime computer works. And she says uh, that, how can you be so calm, Kurt? You saw a videotape of Colossus being killed. The professor's mind call was broken off in mid-sentence. And now we're unable to contact Chancellor Araki to tell him that the prof- what the professor told us, that Lelantra is okay. We've got to do something. So, uh, uh, um, ships made out of fish, spaceships, hyperdrive, uh, aliens, and they're still using videotape? <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> I expected more from Chris, Chris Claremont, like Vizzy Hollow or something. Yeah. <laughs> We saw a dizzy hollow. You were there. Well, you know, maybe videotape at the time was exciting, and it was very futuristic. Yeah. So this is why I say that if the professor hadn't contacted them, they would just be sitting around doing nothing. I guess. But, I mean, over the last issue... Yeah, last issue. She was playing with the machine so she could learn how to use the Prime Computer. She was trying to learn the Prime Computer because they wanted kind of a fallback plan. So you don't think that they would have gone through with their future plan if maybe like another hour had passed and like, geez, the X-Men still haven't gotten a hold of us? No, and I'll tell you why when we get there. Okay. Uh, You sound pretty confident about that. Well, you know, as confident (laughs) as logic of comic books will allow you to be. So the device that Nightcrawler was working on is some data that Kitty swiped to make a portable costume and... Costumer. Costumer. There you go. And uh, that's when they hear the battle stations being fired up, and they're like, oh my god, they're going to destroy Earth. So right here, you'd think that they'd be like, well, we got to get on this. we got to get on the case, man, even if the professor hadn't reached out to them. Uh, that's okay. true. Okay. That's, that's true. But would they be, would uh, Kurt have developed this? Would they have this plan ready to go? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah, I believe that was the whole point of her playing with the costume generator in the last issue. But maybe not. I don't know. So anyway, she puts on like a space suit. So I guess she made uh, a space suit with the costumer, and yep. she she phases out into space, which is you know, handy. She talks about why Nightcrawler can't do it, but then I started thinking, and you know. This 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 is there's a reason why this can't be done. But technically, Nightcrawler could 
could tell it like she talks about how Nightcrawler can't teleport because he can only teleport to a location that he knows perfectly or that uh, he can see. Right. Um, but if he teleports Kitty while she's phasing, he could technically teleport anywhere. Hmm. Now, wait a second. But we know that when he teleports other people, he gets really tired, so... I, I this makes sense. don't think Kitty has experimented with phasing other people yet, has she? Well, that was the other thing that I was yeah. wondering. I wasn't sure if that's happened yet. I don't so. think it has. Spoilers. So Kitty goes out on the hull. There's also some dialogue here somewhere, I don't remember where, about why she couldn't phase through one part of the ship, but that she can phase through this part of the ship. So they tried to cover all their bases. Right, it has something to do with... Uh, uh, they're prisoners, so they're, mm-hmm. they're they've made it so they can't phase out. Only into space can they phase. Yeah, which they weren't expecting. Still, kind of. weren't they being monitored before? Shouldn't somebody be like, "Hey, she just phased into space. <laughs> we should do something about that." Nope. Maybe, maybe the monitor guy fell asleep. So she finds uh, an airlock or something like that, and she phases back in, and it's an area where she kind of thought that nobody would be guarding because they're the battle stations. We're going. Right. She says that when Kurt and I were left as passage uh, hostages, Professor Xavier telepathically implanted all his knowledge of the Shi'ar into my head. That included the schematics of this tub, so she can find her way around it blindfolded. Mm-hmm. If the Professor had put this information telepathically into Nightcrawler, could the Nightcrawler not... Could he, could he bamf anywhere? You would think so, because then he would have full knowledge of... Everywhere, so, yeah. Yeah, he should have done that. Eh, well, that's when uh, she walks through the corridors and she comes across some Shi'ar guards who are like, I don't know what to say, Iraqi wants him dead, so let's go kill him. And that's and this is that's the reason why I think, because uh, Kitty would be inside and Nightcrawler would be inside and they would have just killed him. Yeah, I think it's debatable. I can see your point, but I think that there's also a chance that when battle stations sounded, they've been like, oh my god, we got to do something. But Yeah, you're right. Meh. You're right. Either and way. of course, with comic book logic, regardless, if they had attempted to be uh, shot, then they would have survived. Kitty would have phased or something. Yeah, they would have. They would have lived and this would have set them off. So I guess ultimately you're right. <laughs> so Kitty phases through some of the costumes, which causes the combat armor armor to short short circuit. Nightcrawler teleports a whole bunch, which I kind of like, and punches everybody as he's doing all of his teleports, which is cool. This is thus far the best use of Nightcrawler's power. Mm-hmm. He's he's done this before, but but yes, yeah. I, I like it when he does this. Uh, and he knocks all of them out. He grabs a gun, and they take off. They're wondering if their crazy plan will work. And they head off to find Iraqi. And they do. And, uh, and they do. <laughs> He's dead. Oh, my God. Dead. It's crazy. <laughs> so, uh, he was murdered. I have a I have a nasty feeling about who's responsible. The Admiral. I never liked that creep anyway. But he commands the fleet. How can we stop him? So, they decide that they're going to somehow get to the Imperial Guard, specifically Lalandra, or not Lalandra, uh, Oracle, mm-hmm. a member of the Imperial Guard who will be able to read their minds and presumably read the 
Xavier's message and about Wolandra having lived and all that jazz. So on the bridge of the Shi'ar cruiser, you got some of the Shi'ar guard back there. You got Matchstick, Oracle, Fishhead, and Gladiator. Now, does does, does uh, Nightcrawler know the bridge pretty well? Is he looking at it? Are they on the bridge? Well, that's a really good question, because on the next panel, he seemingly teleports multiple locations inside of the bridge, and we last saw him outside of the bridge. That's a really good question, Adam. Presumably, they must have gotten into the bridge. <laughs> yeah. And so a bunch of bamps, and then a huge bamp, and that's when, oh my god, Dark Phoenix shows up. And she says, You do well to call upon your gods, <laughs> Lord Samadar, for only you can save you from my wrath, Phoenix! And That doesn't sound like <laughs> Phoenix, <laughs> says the guard. <laughs> Admiral Samadar's like, Kitty, what are you doing? Surely, Admiral, you know that Phoenix only dies to be reborn! Terra is my home, Shiar. You threaten it at your own peril, and you should not be warmed again. And Nightcrawler teleports, creating the explosion effect, while we see Kitty tele- or phase through the floor. So, It's a pretty cool plan. I like it. So, um, let me, it, yes. it, is, it is weird how when Kitty speaks in uh, <laughs> Dark Phoenix's voice, she her... Her, her word bubbles get all dark phoenixy. Yeah, maybe the, maybe the costumer does that. So, um, my question is: Did they have this phoenix plan cooked up from the get go, or did they come up with the plan when they figured out that Iraqi was dead? Well, I think this is their gamble that they were talking about. Their crazy plan. I totally <laughs> agree, but it just seems like. They wouldn't, I mean, they would, like, we just have to find Iraqi. And as soon as we find Iraqi, we can, like, put this whole thing to bed. Well, maybe they were thinking that Iraqi was going to be on the bridge and that they were going to do this to uh, sidetrack everybody. And then, as Nightcrawler does in the next couple of panels, he kidnaps Oracle in the same way that they originally had planned to kidnap Iraqi. Merciful gods, if she is reborn, we may as well all be dead. Hurry up, that scan, Oracle. Oracle? Oracle! That's my that's my gladiator voice. Where are you? <laughs> and so Nightcrawler has teleported a whole bunch. His head hurts. Uh, it looks like he teleported from inside of the bridge to outside of the bridge. Well, he knows that area really well. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Kitty phases in as Dark Phoenix. Oracle comes too, and she's like, oh my God, no! not again and she takes off i scared (laughs) and then kitty as dark phoenix tackles oracle pins her down and says i'm kitty read my mind (laughs) i'm just a child how did i tackle you (laughs) and so oracle reads both uh kitty and nightcrawler's mind and decides like oh okay these two must be telling the truth starbolt Uh, that's the flamehead guy I like match head. <laughs> so she telepathically telepathically communicates with the Shi'ar guard and says, hang on a second. Hey, guys, uh, get down here. There's there's something going on. And bring bring giant orange uh, merman. <laughs> Chode's brother, Chodefish. So they all show up and they're like, I don't know. Seems weird. I don't believe it. Um, shouldn't she have been able to see? Like, if she's scanning their memories, doesn't 
doesn't she have witnessed Araki's body already? Oh, good, good call. And know, because she's reading their memories, that they didn't kill him? It should be noted that Kitty's costume has now changed into uh, like a um, Robin Hood-esque costume. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Kitty. That's awful. Wait, is that is that featured from the last issue's letters column? Oh, is that the one? I I can't remember. I think it might might well be. Let me do a quick look. Nope, it's not. Oh. The previous issue's costume was white and blue. Ah, yes, you're right. Okay. Well, anyways. Gladiator comes to his senses and thinks that, well, well, maybe Samadar is a traitor. If so, we may have a problem. Samadar shows up in Vizzy Hollow, or Hollow Field. See, they're using videotape earlier. Now they're using Hollow Field. Are you channeling Snuffleupagus for <laughs> uh, Gladiator? Hey, bird, we've got a problem. Uh, there is no may about it, Gladiator, says Samadar. Now you're going to get killed by Warstar and a bunch of other people who we don't know. They're the other gladiators, which, I don't know, I thought the gladiators were all, like, oh, yeah. buddies. They're, I thought they were bros, but apparently <laughs> not. There's a, there's a guy that Wolverine stole his costume from. Yeah, so he must have had a spare, or Wolverine mailed it back to him. I thought he killed that guy. <laughs> I thought he did, too. I thought he killed that guy and took his costume. And the guy in the front, is that Quasar? Or is that just some random dude? Um, no, it's, it's, it's a member of the future Guardians of the Galaxy, not the old Guardians of the Galaxy. I forget what his name is. Oh, okay. I don't but remember. Yeah, I think he's related to Quasar somehow. Plasmar? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, now the two guards groups are going to fight, and they do. Pa-pow! There's so much fighting going on, it's crazy. I don't understand why. They're fighting. I like the octopus guy who's not really an octopus. He's just like a giant pseudopod that sucks up Kitty. He's funny. Nightcrawler says, Kitty, stop fighting. You're a little girl, and you really should uh, use your powers to shut down all the computers. What? And she's like, okay. His name is Webwing. Yeah, well, wouldn't it be? <laughs> Look out above you. Webwing. Schlop. <laughs> and... So she phases through the floor, and poor Webwing makes a deflated floop noise. Floop, floop. <laughs> Kitty barrels through the corridors in a very fun-looking run. I've got to succeed! And the guards are fighting, and uh, Iraqi is like, I gotta do everything by myself. And he pushes a button, which causes all the guards to, like, what, fall over? Well, it uh, apparently there is attached to Bene, who was the uh, remember how War Stars two parts, the big guy and the little guy. He's like Master Blaster from Beyond Thunderdome. Exactly. <laughs> um, apparently, there was a uh, brood weapon ah, attached right. to him, and uh, and it goes off, knocking everybody unconscious. Although, uh, you know, we're led to believe that they're dead, but they're not. Um, on the, uh, Vizzy screen, uh, the word Bamf is there. <laughs> I think that's like a mistake. No way. <laughs> Just like Nightcrawler actually disappears and the word Bamf appears. Shi'ar technology allows for them to see 
uh, spellings of words, noises. <laughs> so if somebody were to punch somebody here, you would see like B-I-F-F <laughs> and B-O-F-F and P-O-W. All right, anyways. Kitty phases through the main computer and then phases out of it uh, and a gun swivels her way and normally she would be uh, immune because she's phasing, but not this time. She gets blasted in the back. And she's dead now. Yeah, everybody's dying this issue. Uh, uh, let's. Uh, what is his name? Seemdar. Seemdar does some bragging. Uh, he's also kidnapped Captain Kirk. <laughs> Captain Kirk, <laughs> who also foolishly opposed him. And um, the timeline is up, and it's time to shoot the Earth with their antimatter plasma bolts. Weaponeers, main batteries fire. This fully operational Death Star ship. <laughs> but just before the blast can hit the Earth, the Star Jammer shows up and gets blown up by the blast. Jamming across the universe into bullets. <laughs> the Star Jammer intercepts the beam. What? <laughs> is that yeah. what? Yeah. Is is that what they were building? What I like is that. He add like Chris Claremont adds all this uh, additional unnecessary text, but at far faster than the speed of light, skidding out of the warp space at the last instant in an awesome display of engine power and astrogational skill. Ooh. The slightest error would have resulted in the destruction of both the ship and much of the terrestrial hemisphere, thereby doing Samedar's work for him. The star jammer intercepts the beam. Come on, we didn't need all that information. It's just like Chris Claremont going off on, oh, I'm so clever. <laughs> X-Men. I just think he really, really, really wants the Star Jammers to work. <laughs> They're so awesome. People are going to be writing in and asking for, when is the Star Jammers book going to be released? You know what he needed? What? He needed a theme song. <laughs> and so Lilandra shows up in a holographic form and is like, hey, 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 whoa, I'm alive. It's cool. Samadar is a traitor. Somebody arrest him. And uh, Gladiator, who in the last page was completely bound, is not bound anymore. And so he, uh, I guess, arrests Samadar. Yay. So what happened to Kitty? Is she dead? She's dead. <laughs> She's Did dead. Did we ever see her again? No. Oh, I guess she is in the, she's in the bottom right of the, the uh, Samadar panel. Uh, is she? She's bound up just like Nightcrawler is. Okay. Uh, did you, do you have the bullpen bulletins in yours, or are you reading from a masterworks? I'm reading from a masterworks. Okay. There's a uh, there's a Dazzler ad in this one. Oh, I saw it. He says, hiya, kids. Buy my book. And she's got red eyes. I, I did see that. We got to finish this issue, though. Uh, she, she, uh, little Andrew's like, we're not going to blow up the earth. There's this thing called the brood. We don't know who they are. And uh, we feel like the threat is uh, negligible. But the professor's brain dead. Yeah. Right. Uh, but Colossus is okay. Oh, yeah. Colossus is cool. Uh, but the professor, uh, according to Sikorsky, Storm says quietly, while the professor's body is substantially unharmed, his brain may have been completely irrevocably, irrevocably. destroyed. He will not die, but he may well live out the rest of his days as a mindless vegetable. Mindless vegetable. <laughs> 
cooking on the windowsill. Just when the X-Men thought they had enough problems, next issue, Enter the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants? Well... Wait, enter the Brotherhood? How many times do we have to enter the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants? In fairness, it's only going to be two of them, so... The Brotherhood of Evil Mutants returns, or... Look out, it's the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Return of the Evil Brotherhood of Mutants? Yeah, sure. Starjammers versus the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Oh, man. I think the Starjammers could pretty much take the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Yeah, well, you know, villains don't have a very good lot in life in the Marvel Universe. That's that's a good point. That's the uh, comic book series that's never really been written, is like, what do they do on their off days? Like, when, when uh, you know, the Blob's not in prison and not committing a heist, like, is he just at a KFC downing bucket after bucket of chicken? Yeah, he's got to keep his uh, form. <laughs> Waiting for the phone to ring. Ah, oh, please, Mystique, gotta call me. I'm running out of money. <laughs> These... Somewhere in this issue, I start, like, the art gets good, and it doesn't, I don't know, there's like a turning point where, like, I just like the art more. Oh, I... It's shortly after the Phoenix scene. Adam, I've already closed the book, so... Oh, well, okay. I can't participate in this conversation. Uh, that's Okay, I was just I was just noticing that uh, I, I like the second half artwork in this this issue. So oh, the artwork in it in its entirety did did I, I liked it. There's nothing artwork wise that bothered me of this comic book except for maybe uh, when Wolverine was being scooted out of the sick bay. That was a little silly. Scoot. <laughs> I don't like Dave Cockham's Kitty Pride. I just I don't. Uh I like the fact that Dave Cockrum uh, at least draws a very... Um, she looks like a kid, uh, whereas other artists will draw her as a sexy woman, and I don't, I don't like that. True. So, I like that. But anyways, so JSJ6004 left us a little comment on our iTunes page for lack of a better word. He says, having been, or she, uh, they say, having been an X-Men fan for many years, it's great to relive the reading memories through Adam and Jeremy. This is a fun listen as they make their way through the rough and very dated 1960s issues into the high point of the X-Men in the Claremont years. Worth a listen for any true X-Men fan. Yeah, we don't want any non-true X-Men fans. All you phonies, get out. (laughs) <laughs> I'm kidding. The phonies are welcome, just as well as the uh, the true fans. We'll take them all. We're uh, we have very um, simple requirements for the word fan. Yes, we're not. We're not. We don't make it difficult. Nope. And uh, keep in mind that I believe we're at 180 or 179. I know it keeps changing back and forth likes on the facebook page we're looking for the magic number 200 and as soon as we hit that 200 mark we will be running a drawing of everybody whose profile well whose name whatever we can see from the facebook page uh, so anybody who has previously liked us and anybody who will like us up to 200 has an opportunity to win x-men number 164 from my personal collection all you got to do is get us to 200 likes. Yeah. So so get out there and, and do that. What's stopping you? Do the thing. <laughs> Have you been watching Legend of Korra? No. Oh, okay. I thought that was my own phrase. No, it's it's a it's a thing. Oh, is it? 
they, spoilers when they get married they they say will you do the thing oh man i always i've been saying do the thing for like four years it's mine they copied me oh the show's four years old hmm yeah. <laughs> all right any other letters or comments there adam um i couldn't find any which doesn't mean there aren't any but uh we'll have to save them for next week if there are all right well uh let's move move along steadfastly hop along cassidy steadfastly dazzler number 15 do yourself a favor and google the cover um it's good i like it i can't really read the artist is it uh bill i don't know who it is but it's definitely not the art uh, artist of the book because that art is not as good i'm looking it up as you speak so so keep speaking oh the cover basically has just a really nice picture of Dazzler kind of in that classic Spider-Man underwater look where she's kind of grasping and there's water all over the place. And uh, Spider-Woman is the guest star and she's hanging from the ceiling. She doesn't look quite as good as Dazzler, but still, the art I really like the art style and I wish the whole book could have been drawn in this style. The artist is Bill Sienkiewicz. Well, Bill Sienkiewicz. I hope we see you in the pages of Dazzler in the future, because this one is penciled by Frank Springer, whoever that is. We will not be seeing him. Well, I don't know if we'll be seeing him in the pages of uh, Dazzler, but we will be seeing him in the pages of many mutant books. Sweet. So, yes, Dazzler number 15. Uh, Basically, uh, they go out to San Francisco, or as they refer to it, Frisco. And so I had oh, to look <laughs> I had to look this up because I don't know I've never been to San Francisco uh and I I you know you you hear people refer to it as San Fran or Frisco or SF although the latter you don't hear so often I was like huh I wonder if people in San Francisco actually refer to San Francisco as Frisco they're like I live in Frisco man and I looked it up and basically like people from San Francisco tolerate san fran but hate frisco so <laughs> wow their web page is dedicated to this yeah, there was a very heated forum about it like never use frisco you'll show yourself as a redneck <laughs> okay san francisco it is i'm only familiar with like frisco melts like they had those at hardy's for a while oh they were so good i guess <laughs> i guess people in san francisco would know them as carl's jr because i don't think hardy's is out there but anyways uh, that was a long time ago. So they, they're gone to Frisco because they're going to keep opening for Bruce, uh, whatever his name is. And uh, sh- they go out and they do a concert and she is awesome. She nails it. She destroys it. This whole stadium crosses out their little banners for Bruce and write Dazzler on it. And Bruce is like, what? This isn't cool. I don't know if I like this. So, meanwhile, we get lots of cleavage shots. I mean, that's basically all this book has turned into is lots of cleavage shots and Dazzler dealing with her career. So if you like that sort of thing, boys, pick up some Dazzler. Anyways, looks like she's got a new thing for her lawyer from last issue, Ken. Uh, So that's a thing. And she's also reminiscing about her uh, last boyfriend, uh, whatever his name was, uh, Paul, She's reminiscing about her father and how they used to have such a close relationship, but then when she turned into a singer instead of a lawyer, he turned her his back on her. Uh, and then she recalls the brooch that she found at her father's house, and she still has. And just as she's recalling the brooch, a truck drives by with the same emblem that's on the brooch, which is basically like an Aerosmith logo. So, 
maybe she was kidnapped by Aerosmith. I hope so. <laughs> um, it's never really actually said that Alison Blair's mother is dead. It's just kind of inferred throughout the book, but so there's that. Uh, we get a very nice bosom shot here as she's leaning out the window. You get some underboob. So I feel what has happened to this book. <laughs> I, I like everything she wears is just cleavage, and it's going to get worse. So she she makes a call um, to uh, well, she's looking some Blairs up, I guess, and she finds a woman named um, oh Catherine Blair, maybe, and she calls her up, and Catherine Blair is a t- apparently a teenager, and she's like, "Stop prank calling me!" And so Dazzler's like, "Huh." Hmm. Maybe I should call Jessica Drew because I'm in San Francisco and that's where Jessica Drew is from. So after she calls Jessica Drew, she takes a shower and we get to see her taking a shower. <laughs> Two uh, panels. She just got x-rayed, I guess. <laughs> oh, yeah. Meanwhile, Spider-Woman is flying around and she's thinking to herself that uh, she loves being Spider-Woman, but now she needs to pay the bills as Jessica Drew. So she climbs into her window and takes her clothes off. <laughs> And now she's in black panties and black bra, getting her Jessica Drew cost or uh, uniform on. Do the voice. Well, I don't know about this. Do you think in as Jessica Drew, she has that voice? Yes. Okay. <clears throat> <laughs> Sorry to keep you waiting. I, Alison Blair. I read you're in town, and I read that you were better than Bruce Harris. <laughs> Daz was okay. like, I think I've... That, that was enough for me. You don't have to do any more of the voice. <laughs> I, I think I've come to the wrong place. No, Spider-Woman's <laughs> like, oh. Or Jessica Drew's like, sure, another one of these cases. You want to find your mother. It's not going to be successful. Give me $100 and I'll do it for you. And Daz was like, um, all right, well, here you go. And so Jessica's like, oh, man, I shouldn't have been so rude. And Allison's like, what the heck's that bitch's problem? <laughs> so she goes around and she's like, I know I'm going to do my own investigating. So she asks all the bus drivers and trolley drivers if they've, the respectable people about town, if they've seen this truck. None of them have. So then she finds a bag lady and the bag lady's like, oh yeah, over there. I see it every day. And so she heads over to the Transamerica building. Meanwhile, Jessica Drew has had a change of heart. She's like, God, oh, geez, I shouldn't have been so hard on Dazzler. Maybe I will make some calls. So she does. Uh, she calls the DMV, who's like, oh, yeah, I know that license plate. Uh, it's for a place over here. So she goes, and she finds a guy and pays him $100. And he's like, yep, I painted that sign. Go over here. So she does. They're investigating, right? So the place that they go is an empty lot. And she's like, hmm, an empty lot. Hmm. So then she finds out that the vehicle was registered to somebody who owns or is affiliated with the Transamerica building. So basically Dazzler and Spider-Woman are converging on the same points. So Dazzler is there. She opens up a door and the door has no floor. So she goes falling in and she goes, and as she's doing that, Jessica Drew drives by and she's like, oh, somebody's in danger. I better turn into Spider-Woman. So she takes her Spider-Man costume, Spider-Woman costume, puts it on. She glides down there and, uh, um, I, uh, sorry, I just lost my train of thought because Spider-Woman looks naked in this, this, but she's not. It's just the reflection of the lights. Hmm. Fanboy. <laughs> like, wait a minute, why are there more naked people? Anyways, so she's like, why are all these lights? And then she's like, Allison? Allison Blair, are you okay? And she's like, oh, Spider-Woman. I mean, Jessica Drew. I mean, your Spider-Woman? 
No, she doesn't say that at all. She's like, Spider Woman, what are you doing here? And she's like, I'm working for Jessica Drew. And Dazzler's like, oh, that's crazy. Okay, well, cool. Actually, the only reason I make that point is because it's like, don't they sound the same? And, like, Jessica Drew, yeah, she puts a mask over her face, but it's the same black Jessica Drew hair, same height, same body type, same voice. Is her identity secret? Do we do we know that? I don't know, but she's like, well, right here. I mean, I guess she does, she does state that she's not Jessica Drew. I am investigating so. your mother's case for Jessica Drew. We work together. Maybe... Maybe she, maybe she does the Batman thing. <laughs> so then she's like, um, Oh, great. I didn't know this place had anything to do with your mother. <laughs> no. Okay. But that's her normal voice. <laughs> oh, no, that was... <laughs> when she's Spider-Man. <laughs> it gets even worse. Yeah, well, when she's Spider-Man, it, it goes to what the classic one that we've, we've created. <laughs> Hello, everybody. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but when she's Jessica Drew, it's like, Hello, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> How's it going? <laughs> Allison Blair, is that you? <laughs> Spider Woman's like, you should leave. And Dazzler's like, no way. I'm going to do some investigating. And Spider Woman's like, no, you're not. And so Dazzler turns on her radio and says, I'm angry. And she blasts Spider Woman with some light. And Spider Woman's like, oh, you got some powers. Oh, that's cool. And then they, they're they about to fight. Um, you'll notice that Dazzler's um, shirt opens up wider so we get lots of cleavage gosh must have been the thing back in the 80s meanwhile some doberman pinchers jump out of nowhere and attack the girls the girls take out the doberman pinchers it really really looks like spider woman kills all of them but they do say it's over they're all stunned (laughs) but i mean this one panel it looks like she's cracking the dog's neck in this one panel, it looks like a dog tears her throat out. <laughs> it does. It's very vile. So they go running, and uh, that's when Spider-Woman attacks Dazzler. Her boobs almost pop out. I mean, look. Look at that. Her boobs almost pop out. <laughs> ah. And uh, so they're still arguing about what they're going to do when water starts filling up the room, uh, and they're not quite sure what they're going to do. Uh, and that's when... Spider-Woman climbs, grabs Dazzler, climbs to the ceiling, and throws her through a door because they find out that the stairs that were there were electrified. And if they'd have walked on them, they would have been, I don't know, killed or something. Gas fills the room, and Dazzler rips up her poor shirt to wrap it around her mouth. So now she's wearing a half shirt, which is barely covering her ample breasts. I'm just going to call it every time, Adam. (laughs) You're going to be calling it a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Some robo-giants come out and attack, and the girls attack them back, and after a while they basically destroy them. Uh, Some more stuff happens, and then they're stuck in a room with walls that are collapsing in on them, and Dazzler's like, Spider-Woman, you have to sing for me. And Spider-Woman's like, what? She's like, you have to sing for you, me, because my power charges up with sound, but not when I sing. It doesn't work that way, which makes no sense, right? Isn't sound sound? <laughs> well, she's a mutant, so who can explain the weird mutant powers? <laughs> she's immune to her own sound, even though she converts all sound into light. Well, anyways. Yeah. If, her, if, her, it was, if it was her sister, she also wouldn't be able to have her <laughs> sing. Oh, okay. So Spider-Woman begins to sing... I've got you under my skin. (laughs) (laughs) So she sings. Uh, The horrible noise of Spider-Woman's voice generates enough sound so that Dazzler can generate light, and she makes like a light laser blast. 
Oh, I was hoping you were going to say, <laughs> Alison Blair says, it's not working. What's wrong with your voice? <laughs> you, you would think that that would be the thing that happens, but it's not. So they break into an office. They find a lockbox. And in the lockbox, they found another brooch that matches her mom's and a roll of film. They take the brooch, the roll of film, and uh, I guess um, Spider-Woman crawls them out or something like that. They... Uh, get away, and they find out from the roll of film that the brooch was affiliated with S.H.I.E.L.D., and it was Operation Winged Heart. So apparently Dazzler's mom had something to do with that. However, Winged Heart has been dismantled as of a month ago. The truck that they must have seen must have been feeding those Doberman pinchers, and that's why the building was empty. It says here that apparently the place that they went to was designed by Charles Xavier. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. The room was developed by Charles Xavier as well as the robots. Uh, it was a testing uh, testing room for S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. Modeled after their own danger room. So there you go. There's your X-Men tie-in. Meanwhile, at the backstage of the Cow Palace, which is apparently where the next concert's taking place, a lone figure stands and plots. If his calculating calculations are correct, he will soon succeed in destroying the Dazzler. So that's probably Bruce Harris. Oh. Next okay. issue, the Enchantress wants revenge. Not the Enchantress. The Enchantress is back, everybody. Speaking of the Enchantress, she appears in Defenders 107, so she's everywhere. Holy crap. It's a Don't call it a comeback. She's been here for years. You yeah you you bet. Uh, in this issue, the team is still. Uh, this takes place right after the last one where I left off. They're still having just destroyed the mountain uh, enemy bad guy base. Everybody's still upset that Nighthawk is dead, and they begin to leave uh, slowly, walking away, probably playing some Incredible Hulk music. And uh, a, a lone henchman jumps up out of a trap door, and he's the only one left alive. And he sees them, and he shoots Valkyrie in the back, and now she's dead. So there are two deaths, and now they're really upset. And uh, there's a couple of pages where they talk about death and what it means to them, and Beast has a few eloquent words for Patsy Walker, who just can't accept that her good friends Valkyrie and Nighthawk are, are dead. When you say that, do you mean to say Valkyrie? Valkyrie? Sure. <laughs> okay. Is that how it's pronounced? Valkyrie? Valkyrie? I don't know. Valkyrie is from, like, what, Greek mythology or something? I'll go with Valkyrie. It sounds it sounds more right. <laughs> All right, carry on. So Patsy Walker, Hellcat, is pretty upset, and uh, they decide she, she can't go to the funeral, but the rest of the heroes do. And uh, so besides the Defenders, the current lineup uh, and Beast, Daredevil shows up, Captain America, Thor, Spider-Man, Hawkeye, Luke Cage, Namor, Silver Surfer shows up. And just as they're, they're about to do their funeral thing, a large green creature jumps across the sky and lands, and everybody's upset that the Hulk is there. But then uh, Doctor Strange says, hey, the Hulk was, the Hulk was friends to Nighthawk and Valkyrie. And, uh, and as you can see, he's pretty upset. And it is true because Hulk is crying, and everybody's really taken back by that. Hulk doesn't Hulk's cry. Sad. Hulk smash. He cries in this issue. And um, my question is, how did they get the message out to Hulk that there was a funeral? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, so, in fact, how did they get a message out to Silver Surfer and Namor? 
That's a really, those are all good questions. Uh, Patsy Walker is still grieving on her own. Oh, the funeral's really weird. Uh, they're very quiet for a while, and then they start blasting the sky and shooting stuff and yelling. Anyway, uh, Patsy is visited by the ghost of Valkyrie. 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 Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we cut over to Asgard where we see the Enchantress uh, visiting the forest of Carnilla, Queen of the, the Norns. And she is seeking the Rose of Purity for some odd reason. And Camilla gives her the location of it. And we cut back to the Defenders, uh, re- having rejoined the... The funeral's now over. They rejoin Patsy Walker. And she tells them about the ghostly uh, visitor, Valkyrie. And they, of course, don't believe her. But then Valkyrie shows up. And they're like, oh, well, I guess it's true. So they say, you know what we're going to have to do? We're going to have to hold a seance. And then we get the best seance ever. It's a bunch of Marvel superheroes sitting around a table holding hands with Hulk <laughs> holding Namor's hand, holding Spider-Man's hand, holding Beast's hand, holding Vera's hand. Why is she there? Uh, holding, uh, I don't know what this guy's name is, Gargoyle. And he's uh, he's holding Doctor Strange's hand, who's holding Damon Hellstrom's hand, who's holding Kelhat's hand, Hellcat's hand, who's holding Hulk's hand, and... I don't know, I just really like this this image of all these superheroes in their various colors holding each other's hands. That is kind of funny. Uh, so they are able to bring Valkyrie into uh, their seance, and it turns out that Valkyrie is uh, now able to talk, and she, she says, I'm not dead. And then they go into some big Defender's backstory about how Valkyrie is inside the body of some other woman, and that other woman apparently destroyed Valkyrie's real body, so... Valkyrie is now trapped in limbo. Um, yeah, it's a full page of flashbacks of stuff that I've never read. So, oh. uh, that's after this. There's some giant sword on the table, and the sword uh, is called Dragon Fang. Spider-Man knows it quite well, apparently, and uh, from from his uh, from issue 116 of Marvel Team Up, and it sucks uh, the spirit of Valkyrie into its hilt and then enchantress shows up and say and and grabs the sword and says now um the defenders have to follow her oh valkyrie will die for real for reals so next issue in in, enchantress's enchantress's quest that sounds exciting it it wasn't bad (laughs) is that it there for that one that's it for defenders 107 did you uh did you dabble into anything else i did I don't normally, but I did this time. I read uh, Marvel Team-Up number 117, which is Spider-Man and Wolverine. Looks like a very early Wolverine font, too. Oh, yeah, this is not the classic Wolverine font. I would like to like this cover, but it's not good. (laughs) (laughs) It's uh, uh, Bob Layton, I think. He is trying to do a perspective picture um, of Wolverine's claws, but it's kind of, I don't know, he just looks all warpy. Mm. Anyways, <clears throat> this issue, it's, it's, it's Spider-Man and Wolverine, just as it says. Uh, uh, basically, Wolverine's out in the wilderness, and he likes to play a game of tag with uh, animals. But as he's playing this uh, game of tag with animals, there's a guy spying on him that wants him for some research. Well, it's, it's not a game of tag. He likes to sneak up on animals, and then, like, the whole thing... I read the first couple of pages of this, and the whole thing is that, you know, 
you think he's going to kill them, but then he just likes to t- tap them. Oh, well, I mean, essentially he likes to tag them. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so like... The... I, thought was, I thought it was worthy of going a little bit deeper into oh, Okay, fair enough, fair enough. I, yeah, I thought we had established that, though, in uh, the X-Men with her and uh, him and Storm were in Canada, and he's just it's like... It's true, it's true. It is kind of a retread. Yeah, so, anyways, know. fair enough. Good call, good call. Definitely that's what the writer wanted us to think, that Wolverine was hunting, but the only thing he was hunting for was a little tap on the back. He touches the deer's butt. (laughs) And so the deer is spooked, and he turns around, and there's nothing there, uh, but then all of a sudden, like, a gladiator shows up, and he's like, you can't tell me to leave. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, well, look at that sign. And the sign says, no trespassing. And Wolverine's like, what? That wasn't there before. So he's about to pop his claws and take care of business when the guy's like, uh, my army will stop you. There's more of a joke there, but I'm not going to do it. So the army appears out of nowhere and uh, comes out of the trees, and Wolverine's like, oh, well, I'll still go for it. And so he starts attacking all these gladiator dudes, and uh, then one of the gladiator guys throws some smoke bombings at him, and that causes him to pass out. And so they... These guys capture Wolverine. The guy, whoever's watching, is like, hmm, very interesting. He doesn't have that accent. It could be anything. He's very, hmm, very interesting. Was that an accent? It, well, it was a voice, but it almost sounded like either Nightcrawler or Morvan the Martian, and it just it didn't need to. I don't want to give anything away. <laughs> Anyways, this guy's like, now you have to get Spider-Man. And so Spider-Man's swinging around town. He's making up his own little tunes to some Beatles songs. Oh, yeah. He gets by with a little help from his webs. He's going to try with a little help from his webs. He gets high, smoking his webs. Joe Cocker died yesterday. That's not a Joe Cocker song. It's a song that Joe Cocker covered. Yeah, Joe Cocker covered that song. Oh, he died yesterday? I I didn't know he died yesterday. Yeah. Huh. A moment of silence for Joe Cocker. Yeah. It was really nice of him to record that song for the opening of The Wonder Years. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, Spider-Man, he's like, oh, my gosh, my spider sense. And uh, so he's like, well, I don't understand what's going on here. But then he sees one of the gladiator dudes in a ship. And he's like, oh, that's what my spider sense is doing. Well, I can take that guy out. And then all of a sudden, like 200 of them show up. And he's like, well, that's crazy. So he swings away and he's trying to get away from the spaceships. He uses some spider antics to web them up and stuff and uh, well, what happens here? He, he throws a spider tracer on one of the ships, and he's able to evade all of the ships. They take off. Um, yeah, and so he's he got away. But Wolverine, he's in a he's in a uh, he's in one of those gladiatorial arenas, and uh, some some dudes come out and they're about to take to fight. And he looks out in the audience, and he's like, "Wow, the audience is nothing but mannequins. That's weird." And so he starts attacking the people that come out on the horses and the javelins, and he knocks off a helmet of a guy who's an old dude. He's like, please, he just captured me. I don't, I want to get out of here. Don't don't hurt me. And the guy's Wolverine's like, sure, bub, I'll help you. And he cuts him. He guts him. Whoa. But it turns out, you stinking robot. Of course. Not even a person. Wolverine finds a door. He rips it open. Uh, and he, he's like, oh, cripes. So we don't see what he sees because we go back to the guy who's running the show, kind of arcade-like, maybe. It might be arcade. We don't know yet. Well, 
previously I noticed that there was it's the same guy who was whose plan was recently foiled in Captain America 268 and Defenders 106. Correct. So that's that's interesting. Yeah. I just did those issues. But I don't remember you telling me who this guy was. Well, I'm wondering if there was a guy in charge of the guy that I thought was in charge of the stuff because that guy died. I think that's the case. I really do. Anyways, uh, uh, Spider-Man shows up and the dude pushes a button and a castle erupts out of the ground and Spider-Man's like, whoa, that wasn't here before. And so he walks up to the door and it turns out that there's a drawbridge which opens up and Spider-Man goes in and uh, his spider sense tingles and it looks like if he would have like walked in or something, he would have been... I don't know, on some spikes or something. But the wall that he's attached to heats up, and so he has to let go. He he does. He falls to kind of a balcony away from the spikes, and he makes a giant spider cushion ball to block or to break his fall, which is kind of dumb looking. As you do. <laughs> Looks like he lands directly on his hand, which is padded by his spider ball. So his hand is fine. It's just his wrist is shattered. Mm, yeah. So the thing that Wolverine saw was a big Roman hedonistic party filled with grapes and women and men and pleasures of the flesh. And Wolverine's like, whoa, I want to join this, but I can't. A robot's still a robot. And that's when uh, a guy who is a robot, all of his pieces fly at him and and shoots beams from his eyes. And it goes... Zit, but it's it's not Cyclops. It's just some it's other not dude. Cyclops? It's oh. not. All these body parts come flying at Wolverine, and he slashes them apart. And in the corner, it's Spider Man who says, "You thrive on this stuff." And uh, no joke, just you thrive on this stuff. And they both think each other is um, a robot. Wolverine's sense is clear. It's like, "Oh, you are Spider Man." And Spider Man's like, "Well, oh, my spider sense would be going off if you weren't Wolverine." So, all right, let's do this thing. So they go wandering around. They find a, a room that contains a giant robot who is like, I have a doomsday scenario, a Kobayashi Maru, if you will. <laughs> Here's the deal. There's a prison that will be gassed and everybody inside of the prison will die. Or there's a city that we will charge and we will kill everybody. Both are going to happen. You may choose to solve each or just one. The choice is up to you. Uh, oh, and then there's castle schematics. That's the third. Those castle schematics include everything that they need to know, including where to find the guy who's running this operation. So obviously they can't do all three of them, so the choice is going to be, are they going to do one or two of them? And Wolverine's like, nuts to this, and he destroys the robot. Spider-Man's like, what should we do? And he's like, you go after the city. I'm going to go after the guy that's running this. And Spider-Man's like, what about the prison? And Wolverine's like, I know that joint. That's full of rough people. I don't care about them. Let them die. Which, realistically, I think that's the right answer, isn't it? A, solve the city problem. B, find the person that's causing this so that they can stop him so he doesn't cause more damage. And if you can get around to it, then stop the prison. Well, isn't that the same conundrum from Batman Returns? Uh, were they going to blow? Well, there was just like two boats. There were two boats, but one of them was filled with prisoners. Oh, was it? Yeah. Oh, I, I guess I don't remember that. I just thought and like... Therefore, and therefore less important than the other one. I guess I don't remember that part. But then it turned out that the prisoners were the ones who saved the other boat's life. 
Hmm. Sort of. No, that's not what happens here. <laughs> well, anyways, uh, Wolverine, uh, well, Spider-Man heads off and Wolverine's like, where are you going? He's like, I'm going to go save the prison. And Wolverine's like, what? Ah, uh, fine, I'll go to the town. So Spider-Man is forcing Wolverine's hand. Wolverine destroys another robot. Spider-Man heads to the town, or to the prison rather, finds the airplane and springboards himself up there, takes control of the airplane and causes it to crash, thus killing Spider-Man. Oh, no. <laughs> no, I really didn't see that coming. Uh, Wolverine heads off to the city and he starts attacking uh, some of the guys that are about to attack the city when he finds a button on one of the guy's belts and he pushes it. And just when he did that, everybody disappears and he goes to the town. He's like, wait a minute, this is just a ghost town. We've been set up. And that's when uh, Spider-Man shows up. He didn't die. He made himself a web parachute and uh, that was helpful. And Wolverine picks up a scent, follows it, and heads into a, um, well, actually, they were trying to go back to the castle, but the castle was disappeared, but then they realized that the castle was on, like, some moving track, so it could raise up and down. But that's when they find the tunnel, and they're about to head inside, and that's when we get our introduction to Professor Power. All of the men that are wearing the gladiator suits that we've seen are former S.H.I.E.L.D., C.I.A., HYDRA, you name it, AIM, and they're the best of the best. This was in a dialogue box elsewhere. But anyways, they are the best of the best, and they're here to serve Professor Power and learn from him. Yeah. I'd like to know what conclusions you've drawn from this. Will these super beings fit in your new world order? That will learn in time, young man, but for now we have seen much worth thinking about. We must each digest... Class dismissed for now. Dun, dun, dun. It's continued in the next issue with Professor X, Spider-Man, and Mentello the Fix and the Fixer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Men- Mentello and the Fixer was also an industrial band from the 80s and 90s. Of course they were. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm curious where this issue and the next issue take place within canon because obviously Spider-Man, or I mean the Wolverine is on a spaceship and the Professor is brain dead. Well, you know, Wolverine beamed down from the spaceship to hang out with the uh, with Spider-Man and uh, the Professor woke up. Oh. <laughs> before going back to sleep. That makes perfect sense. Well then, anything else, Adam? I know, no, I got, I got, I got sleep. Uh, Merry Christmas. Uh, well, I hope you had a Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Yes. Happy New Year. Because this episode has come out before the new year. Right, Adam? Uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, then. Until next year, the danger room is closed. (laughs) 